That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June. Greetings from Podcastville. Welcome to another episode of the Papa's Corner Podcast. Today was a today was a tough one. Um, I had the opportunity to talk to my friend, Mr. Jason Allman. He tells me a few stories about um, some things that have happened in his life in his time in war. And, um, yeah, it was a tough one. Um, it was an emotional one, but, um, it was very good insight to the realities of war and the things that Jason has seen and been a part of. So I hope you all enjoy. We got a new setup. We're going to try this. I'm not sure how well it's going to work, but it's a learning experience. Just clip it anywhere, I think. Oh, I thought said click it. Sorry, no, clip it. Yeah. It's like a little green light, Tom. Yep. Hopefully this works well. I'll, I'll check the audio once I... Tomorrow morning, after I coach my class, that's one thing that when I coach early is I get home and I'm able to do some stuff yeah. that I typically don't do because I'm not awake yet. So do we know if this is recording? Yeah, it's recording. Okay. Should oh, be. Well, I don't want to do the whole podcast and did it No, record. yeah, it's recording. Okay. Yeah. So you were saying in 2017... No, I just when I had my shoulder surgery, I got very lean, and and cereal was my was my guilty pleasure. No alcohol, any of that For how long? About six months. Did you intentionally get really lean? Yeah, I, it's like when the time when I think Lila went through the macros course, and uh, when was this? Seventeen. I was at the gym already, I think. Yeah, it was like or the end of 16, beginning of 17, mm -hmm. because I did this in January of 17, so it was mostly middle and end of 16, uh -huh. and that's when I was, I think, turning 45, and I wanted to be very competitive at CrossFit. Didn't do shit in the Open that year. No? <laughs> and was in the best shape to be, to do well, and I just didn't. So Why was that? What, what do you think it just was? Just didn't have the capacity. I still don't have great capacity, but my capacity was worse then, and I wasn't, I wasn't as gamey game is at pacing mm. and knowing where I was going to, you know, ramp up and then ramp down, yeah. taking advantage of my strengths, minimizing my weaknesses. And I'm still, I don't have better cardio than I did then. I'm just, I'm a better competitor than I was then. Because of just, the mindset, yeah, understanding yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just watching good things do, becoming more efficient. Uh -huh. I mean, I'm still a fat ass at heart. I mean, I just, <laughs> I mean, I eat too much. No, I just I eat, drink too much beer, eat too much cake, and all that shit. But same, whatever. I'm pretty sure if I if I continued the way I was when I was 19 or 20, mm. I would have diabetes already. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, similar. That was not good. Ugh. What's your favorite cereal? That H E B one. Cereology. Yeah. Shit's awesome. Is that what it was right there? No, that that was raising that brand. Do they still sell that cereology? They stopped think, for a while. Yeah, I think it's it, back. I think I talked to Lila about it. Yeah, that was a problem when they stopped that shit. 
Then what'd you go to? I don't know. I probably just went back to beer. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh, we yeah no, but we've got like honeycomb and apple jacks. On honeycomb is, is amazing. Low key, really good. <laughs> amazing. Low key, really, really. Good. Apple jacks, honeycomb. You know, I used to eat a lot of when I was younger. It was kicks. You remember? Yeah, kicks? I remember kicks. Oh, that was the best. I remember that stupid song. What was it? Something kick uh, kids what kicks has got. Oh, kids like kicks is what kicks has got. Moms like kicks because what kicks is not. Oh, that's go. catchy right yeah, there. That's, yeah, I'll I'm, start singing that. That's yeah. going to be my intro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what are we talking about this time? Let's not talk about macros. I want to talk about where you grew up, how you grew up, how Jason Allman became Jason Allman. All right. That's a... Let's start with where you grew up. Um, <clears throat> is, there, is there anything that you... If there is anything that I ask that you don't really want to talk about, mm, you know what? Feel free to just since uh, like last year with the the mental health disaster. Outside of just very few things, I'll I'll say anything. Okay. I mean, I really uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't, and people can think stuff, but I really I have I'm a person of extremely few secrets. Mm-hmm. I think and, I think a lot of times that's the best way to live. Yeah, it helps clear the conscience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it was okay. Um, my dad was a cop who was married to my brother's mother, and um, some of the stuff. I mean, we we could carry on for four hours about what happened between 1972 and 1974. Um, as far as my dad's love life, it was prolific. Well, he was married to he's your married, brother's mother. That's he's married to another works. woman. And he was getting divorced, dating my mother on the DL. She was a dispatcher. He was a cop. Mm. And um, anyway, so that little clandestine marriage or relationship went on. He got the divorce, was finalized. Two or three months later, he got married to my mom. A month later, I'm born. Mm. Bam, bam, bam. And in the interim of that, another woman in Mesquite had another baby by my dad, who I oh, met wow. four or five years ago. By DNA matches. Interesting. Yeah. What what state was this in? This is Dallas. You're in, you're in Texas. Yeah. So, east so, south, southeast Dallas. So that's your half brother. Yeah, but he. I mean, he. We we were very close. His sister, my sister, same marriage. My half sister, his full sister. I don't have anything to do with her, but she's a horrible person. So doesn't matter. Mm. So this was in Dallas, and that's yeah. where you grew up. Yeah, I was there. I was on the Dallas Metroplex. My parents' divorce exploded when I was about five. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess I was, my mom was, had me on the weekends. There was some bitter fighting, some fist fighting, some couches being thrown over. And she disappeared. She left. And I saw her again when I was like 23. And that was from what age? She left when I was seven. Hmm. They were split at the time, or they had... They had divorced, and I was seeing my mom on the weekends. Oh, I see. And she would always do the thing. She'd come knock on the door and go run back and get in the car. And one day, she stayed at the door. And it, I don't know what happened, but it was on WWF right there in the middle of the living room. Oh, wow. And you witnessed all of it? I stood there and watched it. Wow. No, my dad didn't hit her. My dad grabbed her, and she hit him. She, like... 
he had blood all over his face. He was from her scratching yeah, him. And yeah, she him. just wailed on. He had his. You know, he was kind of like grabbing her just around the arms, and she was, you know, nails and teeth and just like like shaking a cat. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, she just ran off, and uh, he laid there in the floor bleeding. That's the last I saw her. Until you were 23. Yeah, 22. 23. And how was that? I was very interested in the beginning because uh, I looked like her. And I always felt sorry for her. Uh-huh. Um, it's easy to blame the parent that's there because they're there. It's always, you know, and I knew some of the stuff that went on behind my mom's back. My dad was very bad about that. He would brag about his girlfriends. Like, you know, dude. That's not something to brag that's about. That's not something to brag about. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was a little loose there. I don't under, I couldn't, it's funny. He was very sensitive in some ways, but in some ways, like, how can you be so tone deaf on just this? Like, that's, anyway. Um, but uh, after I got to know her a little bit, you know, you know, they always say, and my dad really never said anything negative about her. He really didn't. He said, but you're going to find yourself, and all of a sudden, you're going to be in this argument. It's going to be going 100 miles an hour, and you're not going to know how it happened. And he was right. He was right. You're going to be in an argument with who? With her, my mom. Oh. So I went up to Seattle. She she had moved up there, and we I forget how we reconnected, but you know it's another story. But I flew up there, and um, it was really cool for a couple of weeks. You know, we kind of got to know each other. I was considering going to school up there. It's in the year I laid out from Texas Tech, the year before I met Lila. And um, we're going pretty well. I mean, my mom was kind of hippie and earthy and kind of blonged in the Northwest type person. And uh, I remember one day we were just, and we never really broached any of the subject. We never talked about it. And uh, I forget, we were talking about music. We had similar taste in music. And something, I forget, there was some record. She had a bunch of big, good vinyl collection. Talked about something was on the vinyl record. Said something about what I owe the world and what the world owes me. Whatever. Some Jimi Hendrix thing. I don't know. I can't remember. And she just kind of sat there and she looked at it and she looked at me and she goes, I bet you think that world owes you something, don't you? And I I just like kind of, I felt kind of a blood rush. And I, like we were having a good conversation. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were just hanging out. And then, and then she just got cold and angry. She goes, the wow. world doesn't owe you a fucking thing. No one owes you a goddamn thing. And she goes, I don't owe you a goddamn thing. So I just kind of walked out. I remember opening her door, and it was a little piece of shit house. And um, the phone was like across from her, and I just picked up the phone, and I looked at her, I said, you're right, you don't. And I called the airport and changed my flight. Interesting. She's still around? No, she died years ago. Do you think that... I mean, what type of connection did you have with her after that instance? Talked to her twice. Do you think she suffered from yeah, mental she's bipolar. illness? Yeah, everybody, mm-hmm. my both of my parents suffered greatly from mental illness. Mm-hmm. She was, if she, she was, I don't know if she was diagnosed, but she was bipolar. She's definitely bipolar. Because she could go from, just like what we're talking about, to not slinging mad in two sentences. I guess... It was almost clinical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that you mm-hmm. telling me that, I just got goosebumps because I I don't understand it, but it mm-hmm. sounds very scary to it be is. in that type of situation, be a young kid. Well, I was 23. You're pretty young. Well, I mean, you're not a child. I've been through a lot. Yeah. 
but you're fairly young and you yeah. go see your mom who you haven't seen in 15 years mm -hmm. and then for her to switch on that and you mm -hmm. kind of don't know what to do well i'd spend all that time mourning her and then i saw it so i was like you know it's like finding out the love of your life is satan and you're like i'm done yeah and i was i mean it might have been it might have been better that you didn't have that close relationship with her when you it found was. that out. It was. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, she used that, like she'd send me letters and say those things. It's better I wasn't around. And I was like, it's better for you that you weren't around. And, you know, later on after Facebook, like I saw two years or two and a half years, almost to the day after she left me sitting on the doorstep, she was married. I got, I saw a picture of her on Facebook doing the arm twining thing, eating cake mm -hmm. with a new husband. And I was in squalor in Corsicana, Texas with an alcoholic father, and mm. she moved on with her life. So how many kids does she have? You and who else? Well, there's another brother out there. And how is he, how is he older than you? Yeah, but I've seen him three times in my life. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So your father had how many kids that you the, know the of? Two, no, the two that my brother and sister that I kind of grew up with this other key guy that I just met and then just me. So four. Do you think it's possible that he has other kids? Yes. That, wow. Highly possible. Probable. So what type of environment did you grow up in? I know you said your father's a cop. He was an alcoholic, but yeah. you grew up in a small town in a suburb well, and, in the city. And Mesquite was, was on the edge of Dallas. Okay. So, you know, I was going to be a big city kid. And then. How, how close were you to say downtown? 30 minutes, 20 minutes. Okay. Closer than Bulverde. Okay. It's like, you know, like, like, Alamo, like Alamo Heights. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. You're just, just, just at the time, just get on 30, 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. And you're, you know, in down traffic in 1979. But mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, it was your Mesquite is in the city. It's in the Metroplex now. Um, but, uh, there was a little bit of moving around after my dad got fired from the police department in 1980 for an alcohol-related distance on duty. Um, he refused to take a suspension, and if he'd taken the suspension, that would have put him over his 20, and he'd had a pension for the rest of his life. He told him to fuck off and stick it, so all he got was a 19-year and six-month like service letter God damn. that garnered him somewhere around 250 bucks a month. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, he got fired. So they, even in 1980, they're not just dying to hire alcoholic policemen. So we uh, didn't, weren't doing very well. And some things happened to me. And then we ended up in Corsicana, Texas with his mother. And that was probably the best thing that could have happened. So how old was he or how old were you when he got fired? Seven. Oh, okay. So it all happened at the same time. My mom left. Oh, he got wow. fired. Like it was, it was, it was, it was chaos. Was it always, so your mom, your parents were together up until you were seven? They got divorced when I was like six. I was doing the one weekend, you know, the weekends with yeah, mom uh -huh. for like five, six months, somewhere in there. I mean, uh -huh. it's a little bit foggy cause I was six, but uh, right, right about that. So do you have much recollection of up until that time you were six? No, there are a few things, um, 
like I, I've been going through over some of this with because uh, I got I'm in therapy uh-huh. and um, I got diagnosed with PTSD because there are a lot of events that I don't remember. Mm. Um, the worst, probably one of the the heartbreaking one, is after the big fight. And I don't. It's funny. The more I talk about it, the more I kind of remember it. But it's it's like remembering something at a party and you blacked out, and mm-hmm. then people tell you, and you kind of have this image of it. But you don't remember it. Like you don't remember, you know, that time we ran around the box. You know, you know. Um, the next weekend, I packed all my clothes in the in the you know paper sack like I would do, and I sat out on the on the little front porch and waiting for my mom to pick me up, and she didn't come. And Dad went out there and he's like, "Come in the house. She's not coming," and I wouldn't accept it, and I fell asleep out there. Wow. And he picked me up the next morning, and like. Like he, I, he kept coming out at night to bring me in, and I would not come off that porch. And uh, uh-huh. and it's funny now when I talk about, it, I remember the sun coming up, and I'd slept on my paper bag, and I remember you know like feeling like shit because I slept on a <laughs> cement porch. And he took me in, and he was you know it's like she's not coming. She never did. So that was that. So you moved to Corsicana. Yeah. How far? How far is that? From? About an hour away. Okay. Yeah, small town. And what did your dad do for work there? Anything? Didn't. And you lived with your grandma. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a few odd jobs, like he got on at the Corsicana State Home for Wayward Boys or whatever. You know, got fired for that. Three, three guesses why. Uh, he he worked for a construction company for six months. He he was just pushing to get to fifty. Because then he was going to get that 200, 400 bucks a month, whatever it was. Uh-huh. And then we were going to live on that. Jesus. So that's what we did. And were you pretty close? Did you become pretty close with your grandma? Oh, my God, yes. So would you say she raised you? No. She was very, she never stepped on his toes. In terms of whatever he said? Uh, went. Parenting, yeah. Mm. She was a very calm and accepting force. But, I mean, like, she never let him put his hands on me when he'd been drinking. Um, but outside of that, like, he was the father, and she was just the grandmother role. Uh-huh. But it was very, the more I look back on it, the more powerful it became. Was your grandfather around at that time? He, he died when I was very young. Okay. Yeah, he, emphysema, he passed away. So tell me about your grandma. Had an eighth grade uh, education, grew up. In southeast Missouri, in a cabin with no floor, the oldest of 10 kids, and was probably one of the purest souls I've ever known. Good cook? Hard. Yeah, of course. Oh, tell me about uh, it. Hard working. Uh, she had lupus. What is that? Lupus is a blood disease that kind of turns your immune system against you. From what I understand, there's two types. One type, you're dead a week after you find out. And the other type, it usually you'll, it manifests on your skin. You have these rashes they call butterfly rash, like across here or you know down there. And she had the one on half of her face, and it came out on her hands. It makes you tired in the sun, a lot of fatigue that went along with it. I never knew her to be tired. She worked endlessly, but uh, she had lupus. But she lived to be 96, so... I mean, it <laughs> lupus, didn't, didn't, lupus didn't stop her, no. Yeah. But there's some people can get it bad. She had a mild case. But it, the thing is, on her face, you know, for a woman to have a face rash. Yeah. And it, it looked like a very raw, like like you had heat rash, you scratch the shit out of it. That's uh-huh. what it looks like. Mm. So. What was your favorite thing that you cooked? 
she, she had this no-bake cheesecake. Your favorite thing that she cooked. Yellow cake with chocolate icing. I love that because she cooked everything like with, with, with there was some hint of bacon in anything. <laughs> bacon grease. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. Was it like a farm that you grew up on? or Just a little house on the south side of Corsicana. That was where the, at the time when they moved there in the 60s, that's where the oil hands lived. They had the, they built this little community there mm-hmm. of these just little A-frame houses who worked out at, at Mobile Oil. My f- grandfather was a pipeline worker. And, uh, you know, he passed away, but we were there. And then, of course, Canada kind of moved to the north side of town. That's where the new houses went in. So I lived in the old section of town with all the mm-hmm. poor trashy people <laughs> who used to be employed by the oil company. <laughs> so uh-huh. that's where that – and it was weird because you go – a few blocks over from where I was at was the black side of town. And it was a, this, it's a shitty little town. I mean that in every way. Uh, Corsicana was big money in the 1900s. The Je- uh, Buford Jester was the governor. He's from Corsicana. The, Cor- the, the uh, Jester mansion is in Corsicana. The Jester center at the university of Texas, Austin is the b- second biggest dormitory in the world. But what happened is the money, le- the oil left. So the people left. Mm-hmm. But you still have these families in there that owned all that crap. There's residual mm-hmm. oil there, but it's not like what it was. So you have this aristocratic, small Texas town with these r- powerful families just outside of Dallas. Then you have this very poor black population. And then you have me and about 400 other people on the south end of town with nothing. And I fit in with nobody. <laughs> so Did you have a- somewhat after moving there did you have somewhat of a normal childhood yeah i mean you know my grandmother's stable that was good uh-huh so that helped did she work you said no. she worked all the time no i mean no she she did the garden she kept the house uh, clean okay. i mean she she did she was a, a lifelong housewife uh-huh but um like she the house was immaculate i mean it was about to be falling down but it was clean and um you know, she folded all her clothes, she washed all her dishes, she made all the meals, she did everything. And so how many siblings did you have living there with you? No, just grandma? me and just me and my dad. So where were your other siblings at they the were, time? My brother's 10 years older than me. Oh, so he was already so out of the house. Gone. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it wasn't his mother that left. Uh-huh. <laughs> he saw his mom all the time. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah. And, and they were all still in Dallas. And your other sibling from your mom? Yeah, I, he, I don't know where the hell he was at. But he was with his, what, other dad, I guess? Or I his, guess. Right? Because he has a different dad? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he wasn't my full brother. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he wasn't around. She left him, too. Wow. She left him to get with my dad. Uh-huh. And left. Oh, as your dad. Yeah. So, and then moved to the Northeast. Yeah, so he's, he's blown around out there just like me. Mm. And you haven't ever? I've met him twice. How is that? Odd. Yeah. Picture me with black hair. But same, you look alike. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have pretty close to black hair, no? No, back in then I had blonde hair. I oh, actually okay. a black picture. I had very light hair. Oh. Now, yeah, I'm getting older. My hair is getting dark. But I, Sorry, I still think I have light hair. <laughs> I realize I don't. It's pretty light. I mean, no. it's not black. No. My, my hair is darker than yours. No, I mean, I had black, black hair. He had, he had hair, your color hair. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, that's her. That was that was the world, of course, kind of Texas. Uh huh. Can I ask you for a favor? Sure. Can we trade chairs or lock that one so yeah, that it doesn't keep rocking and then? Yeah, no, that's it goes like, e, e, e. I know. I'm trying to lock it. 
Here, I'll just sit here and be quiet. <laughs> Sorry, I just... No, no. It was on the last one, too. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not that big of a deal, but... No, it is. It is distracting. So you went to you went to school there, middle school? High school. High school. You have any yeah. friends from those grades? Uh, one guy I kind of keep... Like, I talk to him once a year on Facebook. Uh-huh. That's it. So um, my assumption is... After you went to school, you were excited to get out of there and go to college. Shitty, I hated that town. Uh huh. Every, I mean, I'm not trying this woe is me story, but I, didn't, you know, I didn't fit in with the country club kids because I was a dirty redneck. Uh huh. Yeah, black kids didn't like white kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's one of the things that the only kind of circle I had was with mostly black kids because I was good at sports. So that's where that's where I got some acceptance. You have any cool stories from growing up there? Like, tell me something interesting about that place. There's got to be something. It's like Friday Night Lights. The football town type mm-hmm. of thing? Town shut down. I had, like, when, when I was a senior, if I was around somewhere, there's some random nine-year-old kid would come up and ask me for my autograph. Oh, wow. Because yeah. you started on You're the Jason team? You're Jason You play fullback for the Course of Tigers. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was that type of place. So, no, nah, it's just, honestly, that shitty little place isn't really worth spending our time on. Okay. It's just not. So you moved from there, you moved on to college. Yeah. I went to five or six different schools in six years. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea. And you were kind of on your own at this point. I took, uh, because of my financial bracket at the time, you know, because the, the government system goes in and out, high, whatever, but they threw money at me. Um, maybe because my dad was a cop, he had been drafted. My dad was in the Cuban Missile Crisis. So when you fill out all this stuff, my, my father was a uh, retired ore worker who had worked for the oil companies in World War II. That's why he wasn't drafted into World War II. Mm. He was not a pipeline guy. So all that lined up on a resume, and your family makes $11,354 a year. We'll give you money to go to college. Mm. So they threw money at me to go to college, and I flushed it down the toilet. Doing? Oh, I lived in a private dorm. Oh, so you just weren't smart with it. Not at all. Because you had never had it either. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I went to the bookstore, bought new books. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Psychology 101. This is an $800 book. Damn. Okay. And so, yeah, I made, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't go buy a new car. I didn't do any of that. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, I did, did what I did. You just could have been better with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could have got an off-campus apartment. Yeah. And shared it with two or three guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Reasonable. Uh-huh. But yeah. Um, anyway, a lot of that, my journey through college and not being prepared to go to college is the thing that put me in the military because I graduated and I had loans up to my chin with a political science degree. What are you going to do with that? Well, yeah. run with Scott Carter for president. Yeah, I might. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that's how I, I saw the commercials for uh, the U- U.S. Army will pay you $20,000 enlistment bonus. And repay your college loans. I went, looks like that's what I'm going to do. They repaid your college loans? Yep. Wow. And I didn't get a $20,000 bonus. Like, Uncle Sam, Uncle Sam takes like eight grand of that. Golly, <laughs> they got you. But uh, no, I got the bonus. I got a lot of bonuses, actually. But so would you say that's probably one of the best decisions you've ever made? Yeah. I needed, I, I desperately needed to do that. My assumption is it, it gave you structure. Yeah, too, I had no sure. structure. Put I, you yeah. on the right path. Yeah. Mm. Taught a lot. Learned, learned a lot. So how old were you when you joined? 25. Uh-huh. Isn't that, is that 
a little bit older to join yeah. at 25? Yeah, but it was like you get that in the military. You get kids who just graduated high school yeah. or just graduated college. Yeah. And I, I was in with a pack of guys who had just graduated college. Oh, okay. I mean, we didn't make up the majority of the company, uh-huh. but there was 35, 40 of us out of 180. Uh-huh. So. Was that some of the best times of your life? In like uh, basic training, doing all that type no, of stuff? I mean, that stuff gets played up. I don't have any friends from basic. I have funny stories from basic training. Tell me some. You know? What do you got? I'll tell you a story about Menaki. Uh, There's Menaki. What's Menaki? Menaki? That's a name. Okay. Um, I mean this when I say this. The dumbest human I've ever met. <laughs> you know the, the uh, cartoon Charlie Brown? Yes. Human form. Round head. Spherical head. Uh-huh. Like white hair. Uh-huh. The crystal blue eyes and the dumbest bastard I've ever met in my life. And he's one of these guys, mouth always open. Uh-huh. And, and, and I, it, I, I don't think, obviously he could have been handicapped because they wouldn't let him in. Uh-huh. So he passed the IQ test or whatever else. And he was, I think he was going to be a tank mechanic or something. I went in basic training with, with linguists, medics, tank mechanics, and one other thing like that, MPs. But they, they lump people in jobs like that. Medical is MP medical personnel. No MP military police. Oh, okay. But that, what that is is combat support. Okay. You have combat service support, supply people, uh, logistics admin. Those people are combat service support. You have combat support me, and then you have combat. Okay. Trigger pullers, and they they put them in basic trainings together, just similar. Things. Mm-hmm. But no, Manaki, there's plenty of stories. I remember like when we ran our first uh, two-mile test, he was a dumpy-looking dude, like round in the middle, thick neck, little floppy. Just, anyway, he ran a 12-minute and like eight-second two-mile. God damn. We finish, and he's almost convulsing in the center of the field. And and we're like, you okay? And then, you know, the drill starts like, get the fuck off. And we're like, we're kind of like rolling around, you know, like, hey, you know, because we didn't want to do push ups the rest of the hour. Like, come on, Monocular. Uh-huh. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. We're like, God. and he's, he's, he's just out of it. And he's like, Joe, I said, run as fast as I could. Like I say, I was like, hey, bro, when your world starts coming in, you need uh-huh. to slow down. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, okay. So through the whole basic training, there was always Monaki just doing this, just Monaki shit, dumb shit. We Monaki. did more push ups for Monaki. And um, anyway, uh, at the end, we're doing our terrain walk. You know, you do your 12-mile ruck march at the end. But also at the end, they brought in these reservist drill sergeants who were getting their weekend training. And, you know, when you hear reserved, you think the same thing I do. It's like, who are these posers? You know, and this guy. And they all come in, and they have, like, these outer ranks mustaches and they're a little chubbier than my drill sergeants. Like, my drill sergeants were all a bunch of Rambos. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, these, these cats were all drill sergeants. And you could just look at them. They just kind of walk like civilians. Anyway, this guy's name was Stoll Steimer. And uh, we're doing the train walk. It's a, it's a land navigation course. You're basically walking a football field north, a football field east, a football field south, a football field west. Not complicated. You can see your finishing point from where you start. If you have any idea of map reading skills. Stolsteimer, reservist drill sergeant, gets us lost. Mm-hmm. I'd already done it twice. I like I knew where we we're going, and I'm just in the back, and I'm like, "This guy's an idiot. Mm-hmm. This guy's an E6, and he's dumb." Mm-hmm. Anyway, he turns to Minaki, <laughs> and Minaki's standing there with his mouth open. And he's like, "Soldier, you know where you're at." <laughs> Minaki's like, "I'm in Missouri, so where the hell are you?" <laughs> and we were waiting 
for the world to fall apart because the reservist drill sergeants were the ones that had the most to prove because uh. they wanted they, they they finally had their their minions out there that because he got he ended up getting in trouble that night and everybody laughed at him and nothing happened we were shocked that night the drill sergeant the drill sergeant didn't do anything to it uh-huh. like we were waiting for oh Menaki yeah well yeah Menaki got away with that and everybody's kind of like um uh, it's about to go south well it did later on that night mm-hmm. uh we were where we're going to go up to to march 12 miles back to camp to graduate back to the main post to graduate so we get pulled out for inspection at like 2 a.m and somebody didn't have their weapon where it was supposed to be so we're all you know on our on, on the front lean and rest push-up position with our rifles over our hands and our hands are on gravel and Stolsteimer starts walking over the rifles. Good God. Just smashing your hands. Yes. And I mean, he's a fat piece of shit. And even my drill sergeant, like he did it. He kind of walked over four or five of us and our drill sergeant, like it's not, I saw him just like kind of pulled him over. It's like, you you can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, ended kind of after that, they didn't make a scene of it, but I saw it, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was like, cause he was just a piece of shit. Mm, and he just wanted to get back. Yeah, he was just, mm. you know, when you give a petty person a lot of power. Uh-huh. And that's exactly His ego was. was hurt. Yeah. He was probably upset. Exactly. He's, yeah. And he stewed on that, you know. Yeah. And he was lost. And he had to figure out a way to get back. So it's almost like he fucked up. Somebody made a bad and remark. we paid for it. Yeah, and you paid yeah. for his fuck Because my drill, my drill sergeant was was black dude about 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, Sergeant Marshall. He would stand at attention, have to lean over so he didn't tower everybody else. Just guns. I mean, just... just crazy uh-huh. like you don't mess with him and he he was one of these like you know i thought don't he had this crazy tennessee accent i can't do it but i was watching he like put his hand around stolsteimer's arm and his hand swallowed up stolsteimer's arm <laughs> like let's go on over here <laughs> i told him <laughs> yeah and i was like kick his ass <laughs> so, you know you can do it you know you want to so that was towards the end of the training yeah, was, yeah and we just marched and graduated the next day uh, okay it? did you get walked on your hands or not yeah Oh, it was, yeah, you were one hurt. of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, shit God hurts. damn. Well, and it, I, you know what? I'll say this. Um, my childhood helped me endure basic training. I didn't go to basic training in the time like the Vietnam era where they just knock your ass out. But I got I got throat slammed into a locker by a drill sergeant. Um, and I didn't freak out. Like we had dudes crying, mm-hmm. you know, just doing push-ups, yelling at them doing push-ups. These cats just losing their mind. No one ever yelled at them before. You know, we're Gen Xers. Like, dude, what the hell's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You can play sports anyway. But it helped me, helped me deal with that. I was, I never got, I was never like, I can't make this. Yeah, yeah. It was just, this sucks. He's gonna yell. You yell. You're spitting in my face a little bit. Okay. Right, Sergeant. Okay. <laughs> what were the rifles that you had? M16A2. I mean, do they, don't they still have very similar ones today? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's M4. They've gone. I thought they'd gone to another one, but yeah, just a collapsible version. It's a very reliable, easy weapon. Those are five, five, six. Yeah. Well, the M4s are five, five, six mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a collapsible stock. Uh huh. And I think like one little mechanism change, but nothing. It's essentially the same rifle. Were they three burst? You could, yeah. Well, you could. You, you we never. One time we got to put them on fully automatic. You shot a fully automatic, right? I don't think I ever have. You can't hit shit. Oh, because the recoil. It's is just too, too much. much. Uh, I mean, unless it's from me to you, there's yeah. absolutely no reason to put any weapon on fully automatic. Yeah. You can't. Like, you have to be a very, very good marksman and have a lot of experience to hit anything uh-huh. at any distance with a fully auto. That's why this whole, go- you know, I get it. People don't like, you know, I don't want my guy across the street to have an AK. Uh-huh. But fully auto is not the thing. A dude who's going to shoot up a room full of people has got it on semi and he's going pow, pow, uh-huh. pow. And each one of those pows are center mass because uh-huh. he's 
aiming. Uh -huh. Yeah, there's no reason for ever to go full auto. Never go full auto. <laughs> never go full what? Never go full auto. What, what's would, the quote? Never go full retard. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> what movie is that from? Uh, Tropic Thunder. Oh, I've never seen it. I heard it's amazing. It is great. It's racist, but it is funny. I heard, but I heard it, it's it's racist, but they were making they were, fun of the film industry. Or they're making fun of the film industry, and it was a guy. He wasn't he in the movie. He was in blackface. Uh -huh. Like he wasn't playing a black character. He was a white guy playing a black character in the movie. Yes. Because his character was this like method actor. And so they made this method actor this and he, I think he was supposed to be British or whatever he was. So they put him in blackface and he pulled it off. Uh-huh. And you know, so that's the story. I need to watch it. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those like if you if you're not if you don't get offended by it, it is hilarious. It is truly hilarious. Yeah. Because it took me a while to figure out who it was. Because he did this Vietnam era, you know, uh -huh. Sergeant Lincoln, you know, he did it perfectly. Uh -huh. I was like, wow, okay. Anyway. You know what's interesting is As they say this. like uh, certain movies, they say you can't make that movie today. Yeah, you can't make that movie today. Yeah, but here's the thing though. You can. Well, you can. I know. Like there's always, I feel like there's always going to be that crowd that's going to enjoy mm -hmm. it. It might get canceled. Well, but you know, cancel's been around forever. It's yeah. Just, if if you, you don't like their stuff, don't buy it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> if you don't like the show, don't watch it. There are too many people who are outraged when they can just turn it off. Yeah. Like, nobody's forcing you to watch exactly. this. <laughs> and they act like they're forced to. Mm -hmm. Like there's evil going on out there somewhere, and it's just keeping me up at night. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, I get it. But, uh, so anyways, so where was your basic training at? Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. How'd you like it there? It was hot as shit. Was it? Worse yeah. than here? No way. About the same. Really? Yeah. Humid? Yeah. The way I said humid was weird. Humid. 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 <laughs> That's how Minaki would say it. Humid. humid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, we're catching on. See, you got basic training stories. Uh, Any other good ones? From basic? Well, where did, where did a lot happen when you were in war? Well, I mean, there's funny stories and, and not so funny stories. Um, you know. Well, let me start by saying thank you for your service. Oh, yeah. Um, so how old were you after basic training? Did you immediately get mm -hmm. shipped off? No. Well, I went to language school Okay. for a year. Um, went you, to, that's when you chose to be a linguist. Yeah, I didn't choose. I was, <laughs> well, I chose to be a linguist because that was a $20,000. Okay. They chose Persian Farsi. Interesting. I, I couldn't have found it around on a map. Oh. So they gave me orders. It was PFGXLOAD. I was like, what's PF? Some guy goes, it's Persian Farsi. I go, what the fuck is that he goes you're gonna love it you i ended up in language school with that dude who's now like super secret jason Bourne type oh, guy really? yeah he's a complete prick but he's done more shit than are you are you um what's the word oh fluent yeah are you fluent? i was not anymore. i haven't done it in 20 years oh, okay because so, after 9 11 i went back for arabic and I was okay at Arabic, but I was good at Farsi. Farsi is an easier language. It really, it really is a, is a great language. Honestly, I mean, I, you can if you know five hundred words of Farsi, you know ten thousand words of Farsi. So, what nationality people use Farsi? Iranians. Okay. Persians. Uh huh. That their own people. <clears throat> so after you got our basic training, went to language school. Okay. Went where to, where was that at? Monterey, California. Oh wow, interesting. Defense Language Institute. Oh, it's Defense Language, Language Institute. DLI. Interesting. Mm, it's right over the hill from Pebble Beach Golf Course. 
that was some good times there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not only just the weather. I mean, you oh, yeah, it's run, run down on Big Sur and all that shit. I mean. So you're familiar with oh, yeah. Big Sur? Yeah, and we all went that. over to Carmel, Pacific Grove. Nice. I mean, yeah, it was, it was like, I was like, I'm back in college, uh-huh. but it's cool. <laughs> and beautiful. Yeah, co- college with shaved heads. Uh-huh. <laughs> but outside of that, then I went to operator's course and then to my first duty station at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Uh, me and Lila got married there. And then, you know. Like two and a half years later, they started flying planes in the buildings and shit changed. How long were you in for? Total? Like 20 years and five minutes. So you got retirement? I got my retirement. That's the only reason I can do this job I'm doing now. Because mm. I got retirement and disability. I see. So you said two years after mm-hmm. basic is when you... Well, language school was a year. Okay. And then another six months for operator's course. And then you get assigned to your duty station. Okay. And what were you doing at your duty station? Fixing trucks. Okay. There's nothing going on. So tell me, you you were in the service at the time of the Twin Towers, mm-hmm. the fall of the Twin Towers. Yep. What was that like when that happened? What what for me, that was a massive reckoning because I had bumped around my entire life. I went to ten different colleges. I laid out a year had no direction in anything I ever did. Um, me and Lila were off and on. And it's at the time, like, you know, when we got married, I was like, you know, this young guy. And I mean, I, you know, it's one of these, I did not want her to leave my life. <laughs> but I was like, I don't know what to be married, but I cannot let her leave. You know, it's one of the, like, I, I did, you know, I didn't know where I was at in life, but I was like, I can't not have her. <laughs> you know, it's one of these, because like, we were getting that point, we've been on and off for like three years. And she had graduated grad school. She's about to find a job. And I'm in the military. I'm one PCS away. If I go to Germany and she moves somewhere with some guy, it's we're, it's over. What's PCS? A permanent change of station. Like the mm-hmm. army moves me. It's kind of like, like, I need to do this now or I'm going to lose her. So we got married. But uh, we had been on a assignment and remember this is all before 9-11 not a lot going on yeah and there was and this is also during a democratic administration they typically don't fund the military like republicans do and i'm not saying good bad it's just that was the case so we didn't have a lot of funding for training you know you have to put gas in the cars you have to put ammo in the in the thing so we just didn't have money for that so what my platoon was doing is we were going on throughout the south Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, doing funeral rite details for World War II vets. We had just gotten in the night before. We had driven in from Independence, Mississippi. And if I can find the letter that's over here that the lady wrote to us when we buried their World War II vet, it's dated 9-11. Because she wrote the letter that day. She didn't know that the planes were going in the, in the towers at wow. that time. I've got this letter up here somewhere. Anyway... Uh, I haven't really unpacked from the move all my junk here. That's okay. You can show it to me. Yeah, we'll you, do another yeah, one. You get the idea. Yeah. Um, and what did that letter, what did it was that letter? She thanked us for honoring, and it was a really good service. And, every, you know, it's like, you know, when they say, you know, ready, aim, fire. Yeah. Usually it doesn't go off like in the movies. We're all not shooting at the same time. It's ready, aim, fire. You know, it doesn't sound right. Uh-huh. We did it perfect. Wow. It sounded like one rifle was going off. And, you know, it was a... It was a heavy service because apparently this guy was like a legend because it's a small town. There are 400 people at this funeral. It's a whole town. Yeah, the whole town's at this funeral, so it was a big deal. Oh, and I remember they invited us to dinner or to dinner. They invited us to lunch at the church, and we didn't want to go. We wanted to get back to go home because we were like, we've been on the road for three weeks. 
you know, anyway, they insisted. And we, we were going to go out of town. And the platoon sergeant's like, just go. We told him we'd go, just go. And everybody's like, God. So he drives. This was, this was 910. Yeah. This is 910. And so we take the long way around and we're like, okay, we're going to go in there, cut a piece of cake, shake a couple hands, out, thanks, bye. It took us an hour to get there because we just, you know, because we stood around talking, we, we put our stuff up, you yeah, know, yeah. and it was just this, like, none of us wanted to do it. None, none of us. And when we got in that, in that church, that not a f- scrap of food was touched and everyone was lined up around the hallway or outside. Everybody was lined up waiting on us to show up. Wow. And they had been waiting there. You probably felt like assholes. Yes. <laughs> so, so we went through when the line got our food, sat down and just, you know, hawked it up with everybody, hugged a bunch of necks and kissed a bunch of babies. And we stayed there two hours and just, you know, had that type of, you know, cause we felt like shit. Yeah, I bet. And uh, so then we were like, you know, took, we, we took doggy bags home, you know, cause they're all like, you but better you probably didn't it. know, like you had no clue that they were going to wait. No. Yeah. But that's Southern hospitality that southern hospitality yeah 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 and uh so we went the next morning lila called said you know a plane hit the building like somebody's drunk flying airplanes and because we got in from like i got in like 3 a.m oh so you didn't find out through no no no. we got in at 3 a.m so the the commander gave us till noon or two whatever he gave us most of the day off and um i'm just laying in bed and this was where at a hotel or back at no i'm back at home and my my home on base okay and lila's at work Gotcha. And then she calls me, another plane has hit the building. So I hang up the phone, I turn on the TV, obviously I see that, and I you know, listen to it for five minutes about what happened. And I just laid in bed. And I knew right there I was going to war. Whoa. Because I was a Persian Farsi linguist. Mm-hmm. You know, the, we didn't know that the Iranians did or didn't do it, but I'm a Middle Eastern asset. Uh-huh. And I'm laying there and I'm just thinking of all the things I'd backed into and lucked into the money I got from, from the government to go to college. I went to college in Sweden. I went to college in Costa Rica. Uh, I, I just did all this shit as I wanted to do and just went through life, you know, naked and unafraid. And now it's coming to a stop. Whoa. Now you're going to pay for it. And I did. Whoa, that makes me feel a certain way. I just... Yeah. That's heavy. That's really heavy. Um, Well, here, I'll I'll continue. I'll tell you. Please, but Um, hold on, hold on. That's just the way you say that. And like, I'm just picturing you laying there just thinking about uh all your previous actions. And death was probably going through your mind at the time. Uh Wow. Yeah. I mean, I just like what. It's funny because as a kid, I'll, I'll take this as an aside, but I remember like, and this is what's landed, one of the things that landed in my PTSD diagnosis. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of really shitty things happened to me that when my mom left from like six to eight, um, really bad. And I remember thinking, I remember, I remember thinking this, like, I'm going to be a superhero. Because in every superhero thing, like all this bad stuff happens to them. And they're good people, but all this bad stuff's happened to them. And then something's like, I'm going to get bit by a magnetic spider. I'm going to get trapped in a gamma ray. Like something's going to happen, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be a superhero. I was convinced of that shit <laughs> until I was like nine. I was like, yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, I got a little older. I'm like, yeah, I guess that's not happening. <laughs> it's funny. When uh, laying on the bed, listening to the you know, telecast and thinking of all this stuff, 
that thought went through my mind. You want to go be a superhero? You're about to have a chance. (laughs) You're about to have a chance. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so a lot of people shipped out to Afghanistan like 72 hours. And I was in my reenlistment zone. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? You can go, we can put you on the next bird, sign this piece of paper for a $10,000 bonus. We'll promote you right now. And here's your team. And you can go to Kandahar. Like, we'll have you in Kandahar in 72 hours. Or you can go to language school back to Monterey, California, if you want to take Arabic. And I did that calculus for a minute. I have a, I have a year, year old baby and a new wife. I'm going back to language school, mother. So I sure. went back to language school. And then I graduated language school, went back to operator school, and then I got orders to Germany. Guess where they were going? Iraq. So, mm-hmm. so I, I went to Iraq. What's interesting is if you had chosen, if you had chose, is it chose or chosen? Yes. Either. If you had made the decision to go versus going to Monterey, you yeah. might not be here. Or you, was, we may have never met. It was, yeah. You know? It was a shooting gallery. Anyway, yeah. And uh, uh, so I went up going to Iraq. And so you, you went, learned Arabic. Yep. You had already understood and knew how to speak Farsi. Yeah. Uh, so you went and learned Arabic, then you went to Germany, and then how long did you live in Germany before you went to Iraq? I was in there four months. Or, let's see, I got there in October. I think it was there in October, and I was in Iraq in February. What was the reason for going to Germany first? That's the unit that was going to Germany. First ID, first infantry division. These guys, the big red one. Mm. And so That was and, my unit of assignment. So do they put you there first to get familiar with the people you're going to go with? That's just the units going. Uh huh. And I'm assigned to the unit. But why was there like a four month delay before they went? No, their orders weren't. They weren't like OIF one. The initial invasion had gone on. They were the second force package. Oh, so, so you had to wait until that. Oh yeah, first you just, invasion yeah, yeah. Happens. It's it, it's very textbook on how uh, units roll in. Okay. And like there are people who went through the military career and they and no no nothing on them, but they kept getting to units when they came back. Uh, there are people who never deployed, mm, not of their own fault. Yeah. And then there's people who kept getting sent to units that were about out the door. <clears throat> so it's like, you're going to go to this unit. They're going to go to the war zone in mm-hmm. six months. Yep. But you're going to live with them until they go. Well, it's your new duty station, yeah. just like I went to Fort Polk. Oh, I, I got see. I got housing. I got my kid in, in daycare. I went to my unit. We're doing gotcha, our stuff. Gotcha. We're doing our, you know, the, the year long. Or, you know, every year you do government training, you know, consideration of others, all that stuff. Get your shots. Uh, we did a few bivouac trainings and just what you do in the army. It's everyday army ship. So you got shipped off yep. to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Lila, I'm assuming, stayed in Germany. Yep. Kellen was born December 31st. I was in country February 5th. That was hard to take. How was it landing in Iraq? We uh, where did we land? We 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 went into Kuwait and drove up. That was fun. Um, anyway, I'll skip to it. I mean, there's a lot of crazy shit in Iraq, um, <clears throat> but I'll give you, you know what? Here's a test. You like this. That's a horrible story, uh, but there's a hole in it, and I want you to see if you can catch it. Okay. I mean, I'll fill the hole. If it's, if it's geography, no, I'm No, no, no. No, okay. there's a hole in the logic okay. of how this, why, how could this work out this okay. way? All right. Um. I was a pretty average Arab linguist, right? Because they were do- we were taught to do things like you know, Haji one, this is Haji two, you know, move your tank forty meters 
bearing Northwest 369. Roger, roger. That's what we were trained to, to do. And what we got was, hey man, do you get stuff out there? Do you take that time that brought those, those grenades? We got grenades, you got pineapples? Okay, we, you know, it was just free flow cell phone traffic. Mm -hmm. We weren't. I catch every third word. It was blowing my mind. But you know, you're there for a while, you get better at it. But I was still an average linguist at best. Um, anyway, I'm in Samara. Uh, we went to Samara. If you look up, well, I forget the day. I used to know it. They blew up the the Shiites blew up a golden dome, in uh, in, uh, in in Sunni territory, and that's when the sectarianism really hit. When the what sectarianism? What is that? The sec the sects of Sunni and Shia, because the first year of the war after the initial invasion, not much was going on. There wasn't a lot of shooting going on. When when the Sunnis and the Shia in country, Al Qaeda, um, I used to know all these acronyms, but all these different forces started kind of battling for who was going to do what. Uh -huh. That's when shit went down. So they were fighting with each other. Yes, everybody was fighting everybody. Whoa. Um, okay. And you have to understand that they look at us like, yes, you're here. Just like the Afghanis. Yes, you're here. You might be here for five years. You might be here for 10 years. You might be here for 20. You're leaving. We're going to be here forever. I'm not leaving. Mm. My great, 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 great grandfather and all of them are buried right over there. Mm -hmm. You're not staying here. <laughs> and that's why they treated it. So if I need to go kill this dude over here. I'm still going to do I'm it. I'm still going to do it. Mm. Um, it's the, the, the mind of the desert is eternal. The culture of the desert, that mindset is, wow. I don't say that's why they're so willing to die. I don't mean it like that, but it's very much a, a it's, it moves in decades. Uh -huh. Like Americans live day to day, month to month. Uh -huh. They don't. Wow. Just the thought process is like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, <clears throat> that's a horrible story. Uh, it's actually the basis of all this. I was doing my thing, you know, punching my computer. I remember, uh, I think it was 105 Charlie. This We had these, uh, in the initial invasion, after everything was brought down, they put up all these uh, little power stations, and they started giving phones out to people because we, we took down the phone networks, took down everything, and you got to keep the country running. So every big city got, you know, truckloads of phones, and we just took them out there, which sounds like a really nice thing, right? We're programmed to listen to them. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so it's these high-powered cordless phones. They all had New Jersey area codes. Some company in New Jersey sold them on whatever. So I'm clicking on the stuff, and 95% of the time, I'm going to listen to Iraqi phone sex or people talk about what they're making for dinner. And then one day, I get this guy who's petrified. And I can't understand what he's saying. And I keep and I can hear, but you can hear fear. Anyway, finally, I start really, and you, I had all the software. I could attenuate it. I could slow it down. I could listen to it over and over. I start getting this guy's speech gate. I pull up my, uh, my tech where I can look up Iraqi slang, put stuff in there so I can listen to this conversation. Can I ask you something? Yeah. So you all went into this city that you were in. Mm -hmm. What city was it? Samara. Okay. And you took down their phone towers? No, 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 no. When the United States attacked Iraq... When we bombed and blew up shit, their phone system was... Imagine fighting a war here. Yeah. Your plumbing's going. Yeah. Your electronics are going. Uh-huh. Everything, th that tower over there uh -huh. is going, that cell tower is <clears throat> going down. But did they do that? They must have done that on purpose well, so that we can give phones out so well, that we I mean, can... Yes and no. Okay. I mean, when you fight war, the one, especially us, one of the first things we do is cut off communication. Mm -hmm. We did. Okay. 
So, and then we gave out phones. And then we gave out phones because you're trying to get, well, we're trying to get them to restart their lives because we thought we were going to come down there and put democracy in a hand and just give it to them. Uh So here's your phones. And yeah, there's probably a a double-edged sword there. Uh But again, I'm listening there. Most of I listened to was phone sex and women talking about uh, recipes Uh and their sisters. 95% of it. How did you differentiate whether a call was... Uh, like, 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 um, women, women were on the phone most than men. When men were on the phone, usually had to listen. Typically, my assumption is there's a lot of communication going on all the time. Yeah. So, did you have a huge team of linguists that were all listening to there the was phone? There were eight of us. So, how did you, if there's 24 calls going on at one time, how did you listen to all of them at one time? That's why you need to know that people freaked out about the government listening to them. You need to chill the fuck out. There's not enough ears mm. to listen to all that shit. Okay. I worked night shift with one other dude. We would have the calls of Samara, boards of them. And sometimes, okay, after a while, like I know one, 109 Echo is this lady and her daughter. And they talk about that. I'm not listening to that. Oh, and, you know, after so you a while, have an idea. Yeah, you get an okay, idea of who I you're going to be listening to. Gotcha. Okay, I'm sorry. Go back to yeah, what you are saying. So, so this call comes up and I hear this guy and he's petrified. And I'm listening. And he's like, and um, it's early morning. Like, I, I, I work the night shift, which is, you know, Al-Qaeda goes to sleep. They don't have night vision. And so I'm here, and it's like daybreak. And I hear, and I can hear in the back, just like, it sounds like crates. He's just, and he's wrestling with a tailgate on a truck. And he's huffing and puffing. And he's like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I, 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 why, why am I here? I don't want to be here. I'm like, what's this guy doing? In Farsi or Arabic? Arabic. Okay. Yeah, no, there's Farsi's in Iran. Oh, gotcha. Something. Okay. But you can understand, you know, I don't want to be here. Uh-huh. You know, it's, that's not complicated. Uh-huh. And on the other side, I couldn't get the other side of the conversation. Now I've got an uh, antenna. I need line of sight. So whatever, I can't get the other side of the conversation. I'm just hearing this guy, you know, he's like, I don't want to be here. You know, I'm scared. I don't want to be here. And then I hear nothing. He's like, why? And I hear nothing. I don't want to be here. When are you coming? You know, this guy's frantic. What's going on? So I'm looking at my tech. I, I get a DF. I get a line of sight on where it's at. And it's through the dam, the the Samara Bypass Dam. And we had units down there. That's who we were with. That was their post. So we're like five miles out of town what are from the dam. And next night, same shit. Same guy. Same, same like 104 Echo, 105 Echo, I used to know. And uh, same thing. He's like, I don't want to be here. This is dangerous. I can't do this. Why am I... He, and I couldn't hear that. Every once in a while, I get little tidbits of the other side of the conversation. You know, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, keeps going like three nights in a row. I'm like, this is. And, and, and then I start hearing more. I don't know how you explain this, but they call it a op comment and atmospheric data. I'm hearing metal things clank together okay. that sound like RPGs and it sound like weapons. Uh-huh. You know, like if you close your eyes and I put, I put a. AK-47 in the bed of a truck. Yeah. There's a sound. Mm-hmm, for sure. You know, versus... The chamber up, moving. Yes, the... or me putting a, a crate of apples. Uh-huh. You know? And uh-huh. this guy's freaked out. He's not freaked out about a, a crate of apples. And I hear these metallic sounds, and he's sh- he's shit freaked out. Mm-hmm. So I take all my tech data, and I report it up. Now, here's, here's another way. We're talking about conspiracy theories. What's his name? Joseph Soviak. And I did not get along. He was the lead reporter for us. I sent him all this stuff. And he saw my name. He saw the report. He trashed it. Because I can go on Early Bird, The Wire, and see where reports are going up. They call them Klieg lights that get 
put out what they call terror intelligence. Like if you're an infantry commander, you don't get to know that I listen to a cell phone. You get to know if somebody's interrogated. They hand you a piece of paper that says there's going to be an ID at this address, and these are the people you're going to go get. That's your job. So they don't know any of that. But I kept looking for my report, or uh, a terror line from my report. What was, that? What was your report? That there is somebody probably at the dam loading weapons, oh, observing okay. American forces. <laughs> You'd think it would get reported. Uh-huh. Sent it two nights in a row. And I called Soviak on the, red, the top secret phone, and we go at it. He's an E5, I'm an E5. And yeah, I'm like, you asshole. He's like, there's just not enough here. Are you, are you serious? Like, yeah. we report cats on buildings, and there's not enough here. Uh-huh. Anyway, and so I have a fit of conscience. I break my first law. I leave. I take all my stuff out of secure environment, just like President Trump. <laughs> they all do it. Uh, I took my secure <clears throat> stuff, and I knew we were switching uh, the next day. I knew this that we were at Alaska National Guard. That's who we're housed up with. They were going down. They were switching command at the at the uh, at the dam. So I started asking around the guys. I'm like, where's the commander? Who's the commander? And they go, yeah, he's in that chew over there. And it's like 06. I'm coming off a shift. And it's the fourth, fifth day in a row, whatever. I've heard this stuff. I knock on his door. And um, I was walking through and I didn't have my top on because mm-hmm. I didn't want to know my name. And okay. I didn't want to know my rank. Uh-huh. So no hat, no top. And uh, I said, I didn't talk to you. And he looks, he doesn't know who the hell I am. And you can't tell because I have no rank. And I was like, shut the door. And he shuts the door. Because he doesn't know if I'm a major or a private. I'm sorry, who is this guy? The commander of the infantry unit that, okay. was, that was taking his unit down to the to the dam the next day. Okay. They were rotating command down there. Mm-hmm. And um, and I told him everything. And and I said, this is the tech data I've got. And he looks it up and he put, he's got his battle map up in his place. And he goes, yeah. He goes, shit, that's right. He's like, there's this overlooked tower. He goes, and we can't usually see that. From where, where, where we hold position, he goes, that's a protected position. He goes, are you fucking serious? I go, well, yeah. And he draws the line out. He goes, it's right there. He goes, we've been talking about that in our battle briefs, that we need to get eyes over there. I go, that, I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. And he shakes my hand. He goes, God damn, thank you. So I take my shit. I go put it back in the thing and go back to sleep. Um, they go down the next day and they switch out command and then that night I'm listening for it nothing I don't hear anything I'm waiting for it next day they're down there four days next day nothing nothing I was staring I was waiting for that call to come up because they always talked every night, even before, even before the panic talking. Because he was one of the only men we'd get on phones. Because women in Iraq did not run ops. If you heard women on the phone, nothing's going on. That was just culture the way it was. Um, anyway, third night, call comes up. I'm on it. <laughs> it's hard. Um, it's this little girl. And she's like, where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? And I hear the other side of the call. And he said, the Americans assassinated your father. And I'm like, 
I'm trying to put this together. And she's sounds like she's five. And they don't let little girls on the phone in Iraq. And she's just beside herself. And all I can think about is my daughter. And I just hear this guy. He sounds like a fat fuck. I don't know why. It just he just hears, whoa, 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 whoa. And he's he's and he's and he he tells her like he's like this is what they do. They come here, they kill, they rape. And you need to fix this. Your generation has to fix this. And she just starts screaming, I hate them. I hope they all die. And I was like, I didn't quite know. But anyway, the next day, I'm listening for the thing. doesn't come up. I'm about to leave the next morning you know, to go back to my chew, and I open the door, and there's that commander, that captain. He's got his hand out. He shakes my hand. He's like, we got him. He goes, we saw a guy through the scope um, loading weapons and explosive into a truck behind that tower. That tower, they had a, a little elevator system. They were going to blow up the dam. He's like, my sniper's got him. We saw him doing it. He's like, thank you. He's like, I'm putting you in for a ward. I said, you can't put me in for a ward. He goes, this is, he's like, this is massive. I said, you're not supposed to have that information. And I'm standing there with my name tag on, like he can see who I am. Mm. I don't know how he found me. Of course, how did he find me? The little fob, yeah, the people with all the antennas over there. <laughs> you know, there was like 10 of us. So I wasn't hard to find. And um, that was hard because that guy did not want to do that. He was, from what I understand, because I did more following, I, I used to know the guy's name, because they went, you know, they shot him, they went and went through his stuff, and um, he was a bakery shop owner. And basically what happens there, and, you know, it's however you're connected, your brother, your cousin, your friend, your uncle, someone's connected to, guys are going to shoot. And if they think they want you to help, you're going to help. They don't have a choice. No. And they do shit like this. Like, imagine you're at your work and you're just going through stuff and you see one of Nicholas's shoes in your locker. You know what that means? It means the next time somebody comes and talks to you, your answer is yes. Or tomorrow, his foot's going to be in that shoe. Mm. So you'll say yes. This isn't, it's not a joke. It's not a threat. So there's, you know, you're going to play, mm -hmm. and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And that's what was happening to that guy. And that's all I could think about listening to that girl was my daughter. And it just hurts to this day. <sighs> that's really the only person I killed. That was sorry. You know, it's almost like um, but you didn't get the hole. The hole's even worse. How'd she get the phone back? She saw her dad there. Hmm. They gave it to her. When or she's next. When there's a kill, when we kill 
somebody. We take them to the local police station, local hospital. There's some aid stations set up. So when uh, oh, Mah- Mahur Rauf al-Mahin does not come home, the family comes. And they give him the phone back. Now she's... No, but think about it. You know what that phone is? There's Fishing nothing. lure. Yeah. For them... For to... us. Oh, I see. Like, I killed your guy by his phone. Here's your phone, bro. Keep using it. I dare you. Hmm. And... I knew that. I mean, did a lot more information come from that? I wouldn't listen to it anymore. Mm-hmm. That was rough. Because, I mean, you know, a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of dudes who deserved it. A lot of dudes who in horrific shit. That guy didn't deserve that it. They, you know, I, I'd shoot him myself and give a fuck. But that guy didn't. He didn't. He didn't want to be there. And he was probably threatened with one of his family members, you know, because that's what they do. It's not, none of this, hey, I really want you to do this, is I will cut your son's head off if you're not on that corner tomorrow with an AK-47. Do you understand me? That's it. That one hurt. And I did a lot of soul searching, like, you know, <laughs> am I worth saving? Like, you know, because that, I can't explain how hard that was. And uh, that's where, like, a lot of this, the tattoos came from. Because I was like, I was going to get a medal. I mean, I got, a, I got an end of tour medal anyway. Everybody gets, if you go to Iraq, you're gonna get, they're going to give you something. Basically, if you filled water, they don't care. I didn't get on board for that because it can't, I couldn't report it. Um, but uh, I just, it struggled with that. Then I'm going to get an award. And that no one knew about that. Only my partner, the guy that I worked shift with, he's the only one who knew. And he never said anything. He ended up staying in. He went like black ops and shit, so he never said anything. But that was hard. And I always thought about the award they're going to give me. And the, the award, like trinkets like this one, you know, or better yet, that's an ISAF award, like this medal. Can I see that? Yeah, this is just the ISAF International Service Award. Um, I'm not sure what I did with it. Um, I have a bronze star. But my bronze star, and this is where all this comes from, because I used to kind of wonder the nature of the universe, like why am I here? Why did I do that? What if he would shot me with a hand phone to my daughter? But, uh, you know, try, I got real psych, uh, philosophical about, you know, Good, bad, right, and wrong, the duality and balance of everything. All the shades of in-between, but so many things come out to life or death. You know, I mean, there's shades of gray in everything we talk about, but there's always that binary component to it. Are you on this side of the line or are you on that side of the line? And uh, that's what kind of brought all this, because I used to think about just like back to that kid waiting on the porch back to that guy laying in bed, like, what's good in me? You know, do I measure up? And so, have you ever heard of, uh, well, sorry, bye. 
pi is like the divine proportion. It's you know like mathematical contents pi, mm -hmm. three point one four sigma delta. Well, phi is like I, think I used to know the numbers. I'll take it out, but it's it's like the distance between the floor in your head and the floor in your belly button, your chin in your head and chin to your nose, your wrist to your end of your finger, the the rate of circumference in a shell, um, the way flowers leaves cascade out it's mm -hmm. all within like thousands of numbers of of, of phi mm -hmm. um it's everywhere it's in everything is that relate to the fibonacci sequence no okay not at all um but i took that number and like so it's like one of the biggest regrets in my life like with lila i never like i didn't ask her to marry me we just kind of talked about it and went and she said, like, oh, I've got a ring, my grandma, you know, heirloom ring. And it's like, I felt like something else. I just backed into doing this. Just backed into all this stuff. Waited my way through college, you know. And I just feel like I didn't earn, you know, I was like, what, you know, what, 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 what am I, what am I doing? So I, I was messing around with uh, this philosophical place that I'm in. You know, now I'm a dad now. I got a son that I don't know. Like, you know, what am I, what, what, what am I? So I came up with this little oddity between phi, 1.7, and the size of that metal they're going to give me. And I made the symbols of things about me. Mm. And put them on my body, around my heart. And each side tells a story. Like, this is the L side. That's the wedding ring I never bought her. This is the K side. What do you mean K? Kellen. Mmm. Lila. Mm-hmm. Kellen. And you know the three across my back. Mm-hmm. So when I'm laying like this one day, facing up, there's an H. Mm. That's the story. That explains the placement of those. Mm -hmm. Always thought that. What what's with that placement of those? The butterfly is my grandmother. The dragonfly is my mother. You know what's interesting about the story that you tell is when you were laying in that bed, you had the those thoughts of this is my time to be the hero. Look how that, that turned out. But it's it's such an interesting and tricky situation because yeah. for the Americans, you were the hero. Mm -hmm. No, it, but uh, that's not the type of hero that you wanted to be. No. All I get was <laughs> kill a little girl's father. And what sucks is that the people that you did save never know it. Yeah. No way they know it. They can't. And they just it's don't. against the law. <laughs> And they don't understand that no. the guy who died wasn't somebody who he wasn't the enemy. To be there, he wasn't the enemy. He was just the guy he there was supposed to kill him. He was the guy who was caught in the crossfire. He wasn't the enemy. He's just the guy that was sent there to kill him. Mm. I mean, imagine. So they wanted him to do the. Yeah, killing. he was putting all the stuff. He was. Oh, and the, and that's oh. the other. That's the other rape of Iraq because. Al-Qaeda and their trained people, they're not getting on the street with us. We get their asses handed to them. Oh. They'll take bakers and shoemakers 
and and car salesmen, we'll put them in the street. <laughs> Their wives are going to hate you more than if you're you're killing hardened jihadis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna kill the innocent people. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, people don't hear these stories; they don't understand. And that you know, I mean, I get it. We're we're the big bad U.S. And in some ways, we are. But all the people like this hate us, hate us, hate us. Go over there. Go live there. There's much bigger evils. And we're just executing our type of evil to keep our people safe. Like, it's kind of this, what evil would you commit to keep all the people you love safe? I don't know. You don't want to find out. Yeah, it's true. Because you go, you, you be a bad man. Mm-hmm. Especially like kids. Nothing you wouldn't do. Yeah. Die. Die. Shit. Kill. Kill who? Whoever needs killing. And it's horrible. So when it comes to the situation of that information not mm-hmm. supposed to leave, or it wasn't supposed to leave that post? No, it was. Think, you've heard secret compartment information? Uh-huh. It, it never made it up my compartment. It didn't go through filtering channels. Yes, how it was supposed to. To be submitted because the guy I gave the information to should have gotten tagline information that I would have given him. It should have turned out that way without me going over there and telling it. Soviak, that fuck, should have put the report together, got it approved, and it would have been sent to him because he's the commander of the unit that's going there. They would uh-huh. have put it on his desk. He would have got it in his battle brief. But Soviak, and this is like these conspiracy theories that I hear, like listening to, to Al-Qaeda people argue, listening to Taliban people argue. You can have a thousand people that have the same vision of the same thing. They all want the same thing to happen, and 400 of them can't agree. And only two of them can keep a secret. It doesn't work. So when you gave him that information, if it had gone through the correct filters, it would have gotten to him? I'd have gotten a silver star. So why, why did he not kind of say, I mean... Say what? I don't know that... He can get... Fuck Soviet guy, you did the right thing. He, can get, he would get in trouble for taking that information. Really? He's an officer in the United States Army. He didn't know who he was getting that information from. Some guy knocked on his hut. Oh. I see. I mean, and he, he's, he's, remember, Alaska National Guard. This isn't some FBI, CIA guy. This Alaska National Guard. Some dude named Jed who sh- shoots beer, bear 11 months a year. When I told him, you can't do that, mm. he's like, all right, man. <laughs> oh. We shook hands and he left. He saw the look on my face when he was standing there. I was like, you know, I thought I'd, I mean, when he was standing there and told me that, and it was funny, the hard part of it is him shaking my hand and how good I felt. And then he walked away and I felt like, shit. That's a catch-22 situation. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I mean, I felt outstanding and I felt horrible. Same time. Yeah. It was, it was rough. Wow. It's still rough. How long, how, how far was that into your... We were like two months from coming home. Oh, so it was towards the end. Mm-hmm. It was hard. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. Probably shouldn't have done that on the podcast, but whatever. 
I mean, it's an, it's, um, no, I mean, there's stories that people need to hear, I think, because we take, I'm not a flag waving guy. I'm not a rah rah guy. I don't choke up every time I hear the Star Spangled Banner, but I will take our evil over their evil every day. You that's, lived it. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. Like, I would not let my daughter go kill herself to go kill bad guys. I would not permit that to happen. Yeah. They will. Of course, then again, they're further down the desperation. I've never had people, I've never had troops of a foreign country on my street. That's true. So. Yeah, they probably don't live in houses and communities yeah, like this so, either. So, you know, again, maybe, maybe I can get pushed to a point where my kids are an asset and they're going to fight with me. But here in this reality, no. Yeah. Couldn't do it. But, and that was your first tour? Mm -hmm. How many more tours did you do? I just do? did one more. Afghanistan in 9, 10, 10, 11. 9, 10. Afghanistan. That was a cool, that was actually a cool deployment. It was scary as fuck. A lot more shootouts, <laughs> but, but nothing. I, this is where I have a funny story. I mean, there's, there's a rough Afghan story. Nothing like, nothing like uh, the girl, but. Can we do something? What? Can we do a second part to this? Yeah, I'm sorry. No, don't listen. <laughs> no, no, it's gone, it's but gone listen, on. listen. I don't ever want you to be sorry yeah. for these types of things. Because this is why I do this. Yeah. No, I, there's I, ne typically, there's yeah. not a time cap, but I got a coach. No, I know. What time is it? 5.30, it's 10. 10.10 10 right now. I'm sorry. This has gone on. Don't say sorry. Yeah. I like these conversations because it yeah. gives me insight to the people that I surround myself with. Yeah. It gives me understanding for who you are, what you've been through. And it allows me to get a perspective about the world that I will not have ever gotten in any other way. So don't ever yeah. be sorry for telling your story or, or it taking a long time because I want to do another part, another part of this. Little yeah. You series. gotta let me tell you the funny stories. I, I would yeah, love there's that. There's some fucking hilarious ones. So, but, um, so for next part is, uh, death by microwave. Death by microwave. <laughs> Part two. Part two. Death by, death microwave. by microwave. Mr. Allman. All right. Thank you very much. Oh, I want to give you this military coin. My coin. Wow. Listen, tell, run like hell, embrace the suck. Are you sure? These are the teams Shiner, Mayhem, Longhorn, Rhino, Orion, Outlaw, OEF 2009 2010, the 321st Military Intelligence Battalion. Wow. That's how you take a coin. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, this is awesome. My, my team was Shiner. This is really cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We'll do another one. I All appreciate right. it. Death by microwave. All right, y'all. Death by microwave coming up next. <laughs>